My third passage recounts the affair of the policeman's helmet, an occasion that continues to preoccupy Bertie through subsequent adventures, and likewise his aunt's. It is called Without the Option. The evidence was all in. The machinery of the law had worked without a hitch, and the beak, having adjusted a pair of pince-nez which looked as though they were going to do a nosedive at any moment, coughed like a pained sheep and slipped us the bad news. The prisoner Wooster, he said, and who can paint the shame and agony of Bertram at hearing himself so described, will pay a fine of five pounds. Oh, rather, I said, absolutely, like a shot. I was dashed glad to get the thing settled at such a reasonable figure. I gazed across what they called the sea of faces till I picked up Jeeves sitting in the back. Stout fellow, he had come to see the young master through his hour of trial. I say, Jeeves, I sang out, have you got a fiver? I'm a bit short. Silence, bellowed some officious blighter. It's all right, I said, just arranging the financial details. Got the stuff, Jeeves? Yes, sir. Good egg. Are you a friend of the prisoner? asked the beak. I am in Mr. Wooster's employment, your worship, in the capacity of gentleman's personal gentleman. Uh, then pay the fine to the clerk. Very good, your worship. The beak gave a coldish nod in my direction, as much as to say that they might now strike the fetters from my wrists, and having hitched up the pince-nez once more, proceeded to hand poor old Sippy one of the nastiest looks that I have ever seen in Bosher Street Police Court. The case of the prisoner Leon Trotsky, which, he said, giving Sippy the eye again, I am strongly inclined to think an assumed and fictitious name, is more serious. He has been convicted of a wanton and violent assault upon the police. The evidence of the officer has proved that the prisoner struck him in the abdomen, causing severe internal pain, and in other ways interfered with him in the execution of his duties. I am aware that on the night following the annual aquatic contest between the universities of Oxford and Cambridge, a certain license is traditionally granted by the authorities, but aggravated acts of ruffianly hooliganism like that of the prisoner Trotsky cannot be overlooked or palliated. He will serve a sentence of thirty days in the second division without the option of a fine. No, I say, here, yeah, I dash it all, protested poor old Sippy. Silence, bellowed the officious blighter. Next case, said the beak. And that was that. The whole affair was most unfortunate. Memory is a trifle blurred, but as far as I can piece together the facts, what happened was more or less this. Abstemious cove, though I am as a general thing, there is one night in the year when, putting all other engagements aside, I am rather apt to let myself go a bit and renew my lost youth, as it were. The night to which I allude is the one following the annual aquatic contest between the universities of Oxford and Cambridge, or putting it another way, boat race night. Then, if ever, you will see Bertram under the influence, and on this occasion I freely admit I had been doing myself rather juicily with the results that when I ran into old Sippy opposite the Empire, I was in quite fairly abonymous mood.
This being so, it cut me to the quick to perceive that Sippy, generally the brightest of revellers, was far from being his usual sunny self. He had the air of a man with a secret sorrow. Bertie, he said as we strolled along towards Piccadilly Circus, the heart bowed down by weight of woe to weakest hope will cling. Sippy is by way of being an author, though mainly dependent for the necessaries of life on subsidies from an old aunt who lives in the country, and his conversation often takes a literary turn. But the trouble is that I have no hope to cling to, weak or otherwise. I am up against it, Bertie. In what way, laddie? I've got to go tomorrow and spend three weeks with some absolute dud. I will go further, some positively scaly friends of my Aunt Vera. She's fixed the thing up, and may her nephew's curse blister every bulb in her garden. Who are these hounds of hell? I asked. People named Pringle. I haven't seen them since I was ten, but I remember them at that time striking me as England's premier warts. Oh, tough luck. No wonder you've lost your morale. The world said Sippy, is very grey. How can I shake off this awful depression? It was then that I got one of those bright ideas one does get round about 11.30 on boat race night. What do you want, old man? I said. Is a policeman's helmet? Do I, Bertie? If I were you, I'd... Just step straight across the street and get that one over there. But there's a policeman inside it. You can see <laughs> You can see him distinctly. What does that matter? I said. I simply couldn't follow his reasoning. Sippy stood for a moment in thought. I believe you're absolutely right, he said at last. Funny I never thought of it before. You really recommend me to get that helmet? I do indeed. Then I will, said Sippy, brightening up in the most remarkable manner. So there you have the position. You can see why, as I left the dock a free man, remorse gnawed at my vitals. In his 25th year, with life opening out before him and all that sort of thing, Oliver Randolph Sippoli had become a jailbird, and it was all my fault. It was I who had dragged that fine spirit down into the mire, so to speak, and the question now arose, what could I do to atone? Obviously, the first move must be to get in touch with Sippy and see if he had any last messages and what not. I pushed about a bit, making inquiries, and presently found myself in a little dark room with whitewashed walls and a wooden bench. Sippy was sitting on the bench with his head in his hands. How are you, old lad? I asked in a hushed bedside voice. I'm a ruined man, said Sippy, looking like a poached egg. Oh, come, I said, it's not so bad as all that. I mean to say you had the swift intelligence to give a false name. There won't be anything about you in the papers. I'm not worried about the papers. What's bothering me is how can I go and spend three weeks with the Pringles starting today when I've got to sit in a prison cell with a ball and chain on my ankle? 
But you said you didn't want to go. It isn't a question of wanting, fathead. I've got to go. If I don't, my aunt will find out where I am, and if she finds out that I'm doing thirty days without the option in the lowest dungeon beneath the castle moat, well, where shall I get off? I saw his point. This is not a thing we can settle for ourselves, I said gravely. We must put our trust in a higher power. Jeeves is the man we must consult. And having collected a few of the necessary data, I shook his hand, patted him on the back, and tooled off home to Jeeves. Jeeves, I said, when I had climbed outside the pick-me-up which he had thoughtfully prepared against my coming, I've got something to tell you, something important, something that vitally affects one whom you have always regarded with, one whom you have always looked upon, one whom you... Well, to, to cut a long story short, I, as I'm not feeling quite myself, Mr. Sippily. Yes, sir. Jeeves, Mr. S... Mr. Sippily is in the sip. Sir, I mean Mr. Sippily is in the soup. Indeed, sir. And all owing to me, it was I who, in a moment of mistaken kindness, wishing only to cheer him up and give him something to occupy his mind, recommended him to pinch that policeman's helmet. Is that so, sir? Do you mind not intoning the responses, Jeeves? I said. This is a most complicated story for a man with a headache to have to tell. And if you interrupt me, you'll make me lose the thread. As a favour to me, therefore, don't do it. Just nod every now and then to show that you're following me. I closed my eyes and marshalled the facts. To start with, then, Jeeves, you may or may not know that Mr. Sippoli is practically dependent on his Aunt Vera. Would that be Miss Sippoli of the paddock, Beckley on the moor in Yorkshire, sir? Yes. Don't tell me you know her. Not personally, sir, but I have a cousin residing in the village who has some slight acquaintance with Miss Sippoli. He has described her to me as an imperious and quick-tempered old lady, but I beg your pardon, sir, I should have nodded. Quite right, you should have nodded. Yes, Jeeves, you should have nodded, but it's too late now. I nodded myself. I hadn't had my eight hours the night before, and what you might call a lethargy was showing a tendency to steal over me from time to time. Yes, sir, said Jeeves. Oh, I, yes, I said, giving myself a bit of a hitch up. Where had I got to? You were saying that Mr. Sippoli is practically dependent upon Miss Sippoli, sir. Oh, was I? You were, sir. Oh, you're perfectly right. So I was. Well, well, then, you can really understand, Jeeves, that you've got to take jolly good care to keep in with her. Get that? Jeeves nodded. Now mark this closely. The other day she wrote to old Sippy telling him to come down and sing at her village concert. It was equivalent to a royal command, if you see what I mean, so Sippy couldn't refuse in so many words, but he had sung at her village concert once before and had got the bird in no uncertain manner, so he wasn't playing any return dates. Following so far, Jeeves? Jeeves nodded. So what did he do, Jeeves? He did what seemed to him at the moment a rather 
brainy thing. He told her that though he would have been delighted to sing at her village concert, by a most unfortunate chance an editor had commissioned him to write a series of articles on the colleges of Cambridge, and he was obliged to pop down there at once and would be away for quite three weeks, all clear up to now. Jeeves inclined the cocoa nut. Whereupon Jeeves mississippally wrote back, saying that she quite realised that work must come before pleasure, pleasure being her loose way of describing the act of singing songs with the Beckley on the Moor concert and getting the laugh from the local toughs, but that if he was going to Cambridge, she must certainly stay with her friends the Pringles at their house outside the town. And she dropped them a little line telling them to expect him on the 28th, and they dropped him a little line saying, Right-o, and the thing was settled, and now Mr Sippily is in the jug. And what will be the ultimate outcome or upshot? Jeeves, it is a problem worthy of your great intellect. I rely on you. I will do my best to justify your confidence, sir. Carry on, then. Meanwhile, pull down the blinds and bring a couple more cushions and heave that small chair this way so that I can put my feet up and then go away and brood and let me hear from you in, say, a couple of hours or maybe three. And if anybody calls and wants to see me inform them that I am dead. Dead, sir? Dead. You won't be so far wrong. It must have been well towards evening when I woke up with a crick in my neck, but otherwise somewhat refreshed. I pressed the bell. I looked in twice, sir, said Jeeves, but on each occasion you were asleep and I did not like to disturb you. The right spirit, Jeeves. Well... I have been giving close thought to the little problem which you indicated, sir, and I can see only one solution. Well, one is enough. What do you suggest? That you go to Cambridge in Mr. Sippley's place, sir. I stared at the man. Certainly I was feeling a good deal better than I had been a few hours before, but I was far from being in a fit condition to have rot like this talked to me. <laughs> Jeeves? I said sternly, pull yourself together. This is mere babble from the sickbed. I fear I can suggest no other plan of action, sir, which will extricate Mr. Sippoli from his dilemma. Oh, but think, reflect. Why, even I, in spite of having had a disturbed night and a most painful morning with the minions of the law, can see that the scheme is a loony one. To put the finger on only one leak in the thing, it isn't me these people want to see, it's Mr. Sippoli. They don't know me from Adam. So much the better, sir, for what I am suggesting is that you go to Cambridge affecting actually to be Mr. Sippoli. This was too much. Jeeves, I said, and I'm not half sure there weren't tears in my eyes. Surely you can see for yourself that this is pure banana oil. It's not like you to come into the presence of a sick man and jibber. I think the plan I have suggested, sir, would be practicable. While you were sleeping, I was able to have a few words with Mr. Sippoli, and he informed me that Professor and Mrs. Pringle have not set eyes upon him since he was a lad of ten. No, that's true, he told me that too, but even so, they would be sure to ask him questions about my aunt, or rather his aunt. Uh, where would I be then? Mr. Sippoli was kind enough to give me a few facts respecting Miss Sippoli, sir, which I jotted down. With these, added to what my cousin has told me of the lady's habits, I think you would be in a position to answer any ordinary question. 
There is something dashed insidious about Jeeves. Time and again, since we first came together, he has stunned me with some apparently driveling suggestion or scheme or ruse or plan of campaign, and after about five minutes has convinced me that it is not only sound but fruity. It took nearly a quarter of an hour to reason me into this particular one, it being considerably the weirdest to date, but he did it. I was holding out pretty firmly when he suddenly clinched the thing. I would certainly suggest, sir, he said, that you left London as soon as possible and remained hid for some little time in some retreat where you would not be likely to be found. Eh? Why? During the last hours, Mrs. Spencer has been on the telephone three times, sir, endeavouring to get into communication with you. Aunt Agatha! I cried, paling beneath my tan. Yes, sir. I gathered from her remarks that she had been reading in the evening paper a report of this morning's proceedings in the police court. I hopped from the chair like a jackrabbit of the prairie. If Aunt Agatha was out with her hatchet, a move was most certainly indicated. Jeeves, I said, this is a time for deeds, not words. Pack, and that right speedily. I have packed. Find out when there is a train for Cambridge. There is one in 40 minutes, sir. Call a taxi. A taxi is at the door, sir. Good, I said. Then lead me to it. <laughs>